This afternoon, our scripture reading and also our text is from Psalm 65. Psalm 65. The heading above the psalm says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. We begin reading God's word at verse 1. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion, and to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness you will answer us. O God of our salvation, you who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far-off seas, who establish the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You richly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. So far, reading from God's holy word. Congregation of our Lord in Jesus Christ. Spring is a wonderful time of the year. Spring comes, the grass begins to turn green. Flowers begin to bloom. The barren trees begin to bud and new growth begins to sprout forth. For the farmer, it is also a time of renewed expectations as he readies the field for planting, as he looks forward to the harvest in the fall time. And so the coming of spring brings renewed hope, also when we looked to the future. Yet the reality is that the coming of spring does not guarantee that things necessarily are going to go well. There can be drought when the fields do not get water, when the rain doesn't come in a timely manner. There can be pestilence that destroys the crops, plague that devastates the livestock, or virus that imperils the lives of human beings. Today, we are dealing with COVID. And we know that also this so-called little virus has turned our lives this past year upside down. 
It has, had, it has had an impact on our lives in the past year, and we don't know how it's going to play out even in the coming months. We have hopes that things will get better. We can return again to normal, and yet we don't know indeed what will happen. Right? There are really no guarantees about how thing, whether things will go well in the future or not. So the question is, how, we do, how must we then think about the world in which we are living today? Do we just resign ourselves to the things that are happening and, and we hope for the best? Or do we maybe let ourselves feel defeated and, and we become depressed because we're not sure about how things are going to end also this year? Well, we need to look at Psalm 65, and in Psalm 65, God reveals how, as God's people, we are to look at our life in a different way than the people in the world. People do not know God look at life. Because all those who refuse to believe in God, see, they see a world that depends on human intervention. Right? They look at the need for men to intervene to save the world from calamity that might be coming. While those who are godly and who put their trust in God understand that the world in which we live rests in the hands of God Almighty. And so the psalmist rejoices that the Lord God watches over the whole earth. That he is the one who is in control of the peoples of this world. That he controls all the events that take place in this world. And so you know that this past year there's also been a lot of speculation perhaps or speculation about how COVID came to, to be. People have wondered whether it's a result of human experimentation that went wrong in a lab in, in Wuhan. Yet, the psalmist makes clear that also this is under the control of the Lord God. God may even use mankind's own ingenuity in order that it may be turned against him. That man too is confronted with his, his own weaknesses, his own smallness in comparison to the greatness of our God. And so the question then is not what should we as Christians do to try to fix the problems that mankind has created? Because we understand that we are just as limited in what we can do as the people of the world are limited in what they can do. But what is different is this. What is different for us is that, that we understand and that we too believe with our whole heart that we have the Lord God who is in control of the world in which we are living. That we know with a certainty, with a confidence, that our God has a purpose for the very things that are happening in the world today. That's a comfort. For a while, the people of the world maybe have their lives set upside down. Yet the Lord God is directing everything we believe to His glorious purpose. That means, beloved, that the only way out for mankind today is through the gospel. There's no other way out. It is only through worshiping and serving the Lord God Almighty that we can continue on in this life and that we know also what our future direction really is. It also means that today as we enter into the spring season, that we now praise the Lord God for His faithful care over His creation. 
And so when we, put the, when we plant the seed in the field, we do so in the expectation that God will give His blessing. When we're busy in, the daily, in, in our daily lives and with our daily work, we do so expecting that the Lord will give His blessing over our work. That means, beloved, that in faith we live in this confidence. Confidence that the Lord God is the one who will crown the year, also this year with his bounty. And so this afternoon I proclaim to you God's word under this theme, hope in the Lord who satisfies us with his bounty. So our theme, hope in the Lord who satisfies us with his bounty. Under that theme we look at three things. First of all, we see that he satisfies us with the good things of his house. Secondly, he is the hope of the ends of the earth. And thirdly, he crowns the year with his bounty. The psalmist begins the psalm with a quiet confidence in which he talks about the presence of the Lord God in this world. Begins the opening words. He says, praise awaits you, our God in Zion. So notice what he says. He says, talks about God. Where is God? God's in Zion. And there in Zion, God awaits the praise of mankind. And so when you read through the whole psalm, you'll notice uh, that the psalm speaks about God's greatness. That God alone is, is worthy of the praise of all of mankind. And so the psalmist says that God is in Zion and there he awaits the praise of all of mankind. We know that in Israel, the people of Israel, when they talked about Zion, they, they thought about Jerusalem as a city of David. That's their Zion. And especially when they thought about Zion, they thought about that mount there in the city of Jerusalem where the temple of God had been built, where God promised that he would dwell and, and live in the midst of his people. He would live there in Israel, there in his temple. And so Zion becomes the place where the people of Israel would also go in order to bring their vows before the Lord. Now, when we read about vows in Scripture, it can refer to a promise that a person gives to, to the Lord God that he will indeed do this for the Lord. In Israel, a vow was often also uh, connected to the giving of sacrifices to the Lord God in the temple. And so an Israelite, um, he might vow that he would serve the Lord God in a, certain, in a certain way, he would give his life in that service to the Lord, or the vow might also include being faithful in bringing his sacrifices to the Lord God in the temple, sacrifices of thanksgiving to the Lord. So the question now is, so what is so special about this God? This God who the psalmist says dwells in his temple there in Zion. And you notice, this is what he says about the God in Zion. He says, he is the God who answers, he is the God who answers prayer. That is the very thing, beloved, that sets the God of Israel apart from all the other gods that the people in the world are, are serving. What he says, he says, you know, our God is a living God. And because he's a living God, he's a God who hears the prayers of his people. And he doesn't only hear our prayers, he's also the God who answers our prayers. Right? There is no other God in the entire world who does what the God who lives in Zion does. And because God is the one who answers prayers, the result, he says, is that 
all people will come to him. And, and so he's not only speaking here about the people of, of Israel as all the people in Israel. He talks here about all flesh. And so in, in the context also of this psalm, he's already anticipating that all of humanity will come and, and praise and give praise to God. When you talk about all humanity, not necessarily meaning that every single human being, but he talks about that human beings from around the world will indeed praise God. And so the psalm then speaks about God as the one who, who rules over the entire earth. Everything in this world, he says, rests in the hands and the power of God Almighty. And that's why he already anticipates that the people from all these different nations, they're going to recognize God's power. They will recognize his greatness, the one who lives there in Zion. And that becomes, we know, a reality much later on with the coming of the Lord Jesus. When the Lord Jesus came to Jerusalem, he gave his life there on the cross. And then from there, he sent his gospel out into all the nations of the earth. And so today, we also live in this time where we know that Christians from all over the world, from every nationality, turn to the Lord God. And that means that Zion, that we read about here in our text, is no longer just situated there in Jerusalem and there in, in, in a man-made temple. But today, God dwells in the midst of his church, church who are his people. So we need to ask ourselves here again, so why, why do we uh, indeed worship the Lord our God? Why is it so important to us that every Sunday again that, that we come together in, in worship? What causes us in, indeed to, make, to, to, to take that step that we indeed worship the Lord God? And also in this time of COVID, why do we take the time, even though we might not be able to be here, do we take the time to at least listen in via live stream. Why should, there, why should there then also be in our hearts today this growing longing that we might be able to, to worship together because we understand that there is something that's missing. There's something that we really want the Lord to also give to us. And that longing, that desire to worship the Lord our God, is because we know the Lord God to be the living God. We know Him to be the one who answers our prayers. You see, it is through faith that we look up to the sovereign God because we know that He watches over the whole earth. That means, beloved, if, if you truly know in your heart that your life depends on God's care, then you will also go to God. You go to Him because you know that He is the one who alone is able to, to provide you with the things that you need in your life. If today you are hoping for a harvest in the fall time, doesn't that mean that you should then also ask the Lord that He might bless the seed that you're going to sow on your field? And if you are sick... Doesn't that mean that you would then also ask the Lord, Lord, please also bless the medical treatments or bless the medications that I am taking so that, they, I mean, so that indeed I may be healed? Because without the Lord's blessing, it's of no value. Beloved, if, if you truly know the living God, then He is the first one 
that you will go to for everything in your life. Even before you go anywhere else, you will fall on your knees before the Lord and you will beseech the Lord, Lord, also provide for my needs. Because I know you are the Almighty, the one who has all things in your hands. And so when we now come into the presence of God, the psalmist can say, we are filled or we are satisfied with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. Interesting when you think about being satisfied and feeling satisfied. You know that that's impossible in a corrupt world. Impossible for somebody who doesn't know God to indeed enjoy satisfaction in his or her life. You understand that money and wealth do not give lasting satisfaction. That Some of the richest people in the world are also some of the most unhappy people and least satisfied people in the world. Neither does alcohol or drugs or, or sex or pornography give that satisfaction. Right? The sinful cravings of the heart always desires more. The scriptures also speak about lust is never satisfied. It's always asking for more, more, and more. And perhaps we also see it, we might even experience it in our own lives. In, our own, uh, as in this past year, we've also felt unsettled as we have to deal with the effects of, of COVID. I think we've all experienced a, a difficult year. We have faced challenges that our generation has, has never, never faced. No generations in the past have. For example, if we think of the days of John Calvin in Geneva, there we know that there were often times of plagues and people's lives were very much in, in, in danger and their lives were often unsettled as a result. But it is so this, our situation today may not be as serious as it was back then. But even this past year, I think we've all felt unsettled when government regulations curbed the activities in our lives. And certain freedoms that we used to enjoy, suddenly we're not able to, to do anymore. Or you may have felt unsettled when you saw others not taking COVID regulations very seriously. And you may even have felt resentment in your heart as a result of that. And as the tensions have risen in our society all, all around us, and we still see it going on to, to today, where there's this constant battle between different groups in our society. Unfortunately, as God's people, we have not always escaped many of the same tensions in our own life and our own church life. And it's during such times that we need to Listen more carefully even to the words of the Lord and listen carefully to the words of the psalmist as we draw near to the Lord our God. Notice what he writes. He writes, Blessed are those who, who you choose and bring near to live in your courts. Right? To live, he says, to live in the presence of God, it's, that is our greatest joy. And he says, It is possible. Imagine that. It is possible to live in God's holy presence. We, who are so small little human beings, in comparison to God's greatness, we who are sinners, we who are corrupt, and God who is holy, and yet we can enter into His holy presence. 
Yes, even when we feel that we, even when we feel overwhelmed by our sins because we come to, to know them and to experience also the sin in our own lives, yet we're able to come into His holy presence. Why? Because God in His grace, He says, forgives our transgressions. He forgives our sins. Beloved, it means that, that you and I, we can come into the presence of the living God because the Lord is a God who forgives the sins of His people. Of course, we realize that the, that the psalmist at this time, it was David, did not yet know about the Lord Jesus. Psalmist may have, would have known about the promises of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, but he would not yet have known Jesus Christ that we do. But to, and so today we have something much greater. Today we experience the love of God uh, through His Son, the Lord Jesus. And therefore, when, when we now come into the presence of God, what the psalmist really points out to us is that that unsettledness that we may feel in our hearts and that we may feel in our lives, even in this time of COVID, disappears. Disappears. And disappears, beloved, not because the problems go away. Disappears not because the circumstances in our lives have changed or that things have gotten better. But we experience that because we know that the things around us cannot take away the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Governments may take away our liberties, as happened to believers throughout the ages. A virus might come and destroy people's lives, may even endanger our own lives when we become deathly ill. Our jobs might even disappear because of the shutdown of the economy. But beloved, none of that can take away the blessedness that we have with the Lord, our God. He who covered our sins is the God who will also take care of us throughout the troubles of life and He will lead us into the life everlasting. Right there in the presence of God, the psalmist says, there we feel secure. And oh, I may have to face all kinds of issues and all kinds of troubles and, and I might have certain ideas about what I should do and what I should not do. But I know that in the presence of my God, my life is secure, that He gives me everything that I need, not only for today, but for eternity and forevermore. And therefore, Lord, whatever my lot and whatever my circumstances, we're satisfied. We're satisfied with the good things of your house that you have given to us in your Son, Christ Jesus. Our satisfaction and feeling of well-being is the result of knowing that the whole world in which we are living now rests in the hands of our God. You know, the reality, the reality is that when we look around the world and we look at the things that are happening in our society, what do we see? Well, we see the powers of darkness over, overwhelm the world in which we are living. I would say that our generation, at least my generation for sure, and perhaps the young generation today, is going to be different. But my generation has grown up in a society that, that generally respected the church, generally respected Christians. But a society has become more and more secular in their thinking and in their actions, 
as church and as believers, we also begin to feel more and more threatened by the powers around us. And in the face of those threats, in the face of those challenges, sometimes we may begin to feel that somehow we are losing the battle. Sometimes we even think that we need to fight the battle ourselves, somehow that we need to give God a hand by revolting against the very powers that oppose us. But the reality is, beloved, that Christ has not given us the sword to fight. Remember how he took the sword out of Peter's hand when Peter was going to defend his Lord? And why does he take the sword out of Peter's hand? Because the Lord came to win the battle for us, not that we have to win the battle for him. And therefore, it is not we who are going to destroy the powers of darkness, it is Christ who will destroy the powers of darkness. And his weapon? His weapon is the gospel message. For the gospel message is the very sword of the Spirit. And that means, beloved, that we often need to be reminded ourselves, also these words of the psalmist in Psalm 5, in verse 5, where he says, God is the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Hope may also be translated as confidence. Because that word hope carries the idea of putting your trust in somebody, putting your confidence in someone. God is the one that we trust. God's the one in which we put our confidence in when we face the challenges of our lives. Why? Because we trust Him. Because we know that He holds power over the ends of the earth and the farthest seas, as the psalmist describes it. And so indeed, God may dwell in His temple there in Zion, there in the city of Jerusalem. But the psalmist says, but His power and His might extends to the ends of the earth. Notice he says, he says, our God is not a puny God. Our God is not a God who just controls a little corner of the world, maybe that little land of Palestine. No, he is a God who has formed the mountains of the world by his power. He is the God, he says, who stills the roaring of the seas and the roaring of the waves. He says God has full control over the raging storms of the sea that terrify the hearts of the most hardened sailors. Think here for a moment about the terror in the hearts of the disciples as they were in the midst of the storm there on the lake of Galilee. Remember many of those disciples, they were experienced fishermen and yet their hearts were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord Jesus, Jesus, wake up! Save us! And Jesus, with one word of rebuke, he stilled the sea. God has control. Also over the turmoil of the nations, the psalmist says. Reminds me of Isaiah 17, verse 12 and following, where Isaiah says, Woe to the many nations that rage. They rage like the raging sea. Nations are against one another. They're fighting against one another. They're raging against one another. They hate one another. So much uncertainty within the world, even back then. And then a few verses later, Isaiah says, when God rebukes them, what do they do? They flee away. You see, God is in complete control of the nations and of all the peoples of the earth. And so indeed, we are living in these turbulent times. You know, we worry about COVID. 
COVID is the thing that's probably most on top of our, our minds at this very time. But I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, is that COVID is the least of our troubles right now in our society. Because if you've been keeping, uh, paying attention to the news over the last few weeks, even the last couple months, you'll notice that in North America we have political powers that are causing division and hatred between peoples, between people groups and, people ra and races of people. Right now we're living in a time where race is being pitted against race, where anger and rage is being promoted as something that is good and that is just. Violence is being promoted in the streets by, by some of our political leaders, especially in the United States, who demand the destruction of our society. And unfortunately, some of that same rhetoric is coming up here into Canada where we live. And the rhetoric is that they believe that they can build a more just and a more equitable society, but we just need to tear it all down, first of all. And as we think about that, on the one hand, yes, we're going to be upset. And we should indeed be upset about the destructive actions of so many in our society. But the question is, how should we as God's people, how do we need to respond to that? How should we as Christians, how do we counteract those destructive forces? What the psalmist says, the psalmist says, turn to the hope of all the ends of the earth. He says, turn to the Lord God, that you may also ask Him for what you need in your life. Ask to turn to the Lord God, that He may turn the hearts of people away from their destructive ways. And that instead they may come to praise the God of all the earth. When we put our hope, when we put our confidence in the Lord, beloved, then we never do that in vain. But the psalmist says in verse 5, he says, God answered the prayers of His people with awesome and righteous deeds, he revealed himself as God, our Savior. See what he says? He says to Israel, he says, remember the awesome, remember the righteous deeds that the Lord God has done for you. And we don't know what the psalmist may have had in mind here, but of course one of those that comes to mind, the greatest one that, that Israel must have thought about was what happened when they were in, when they were in Egypt. They must have been reminded about the awesome power of God to deliver Israel out of the powers, out of the, the might of the Egyptian Pharaoh and his army. Right in those days, Israel was absolutely helpless. There's nothing they could do to defend themselves, nothing they could do to fight their way out of that situation. They had no means by which they could defeat mighty Pharaoh. They were lost. And yet God comes, sends Moses. God displays His mighty power, and He delivers His people. Now, of course, today we, we need to read this psalm in a different context. We're not living in the Old Testament anymore. But in this new context, in the New Testament context, we are to look back to the awesome and the righteous deeds of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Because remember there on the cross, or just before He was nailed to the cross, they're the enemies of Christ. They marshaled their powers against Him. They seem to be so very powerful that they were, able, they were even able to turn the people against the Lord Jesus so that they crucified Him. But the reality we know, beloved, is they could not defeat the Lord Jesus. Now Jesus was the one who, who conquered sin and death 
through his resurrection on the third day on Easter Sunday. And the result is that the whole earth is now filled with, with awe at the wonder of Christ's work. Why? Because the power of the gospel has gone throughout the whole world and is clearly displayed even in the face of great hostility. For Jesus Christ is proclaimed as the great hope of all the earth right through the witness of God's people. And the gospel message, beloved, it is a great power. Power to be able to change the hearts of mankind. So that in the face of the hopelessness and the despair that is felt by so many people in our society, and sometimes we might even feel it ourselves, even as Christians. But the Lord does, beloved, He comes and He gives to us a glorious hope. And His work, His work will never, never fail. And therefore, we may also be sure that the Lord God will crown the year with His bounty. Because the question really is one for our own hearts. Who do you believe is really in control of this world? Right? People in our society, people who do not acknowledge God to be God, think that they're in control. In their arrogance, they think that they can control the environment. Perhaps you've seen you know, the big world conference of world leaders this week talking about the environment and how they need to save the world from climate change. But the whole thought here is if they throw enough money at environmental projects, that somehow they can control the climate. Think of the arrogance of mankind to, to think that somehow we're able to determine drought and rain. We can determine fruitful and barren years on this earth. Because in the end, we know that mankind will be completely frustrated as they sow the seeds of their own destruction. On the one hand, we become frustrated. We might even become worried. On the other hand, Lord, we need to understand, beloved, that the Lord allows man to follow the foolishness of his ways in order that he also may show mankind his foolishness. Because human beings, human beings think that they are the farmer. And you know that each farmer often thinks that he is able to determine the crops that he's going to harvest in the fall time. Each farmer thinks that if he sows the right seeds, if he just adds the right fertilizer, if he just applies the proper sprays, that he will be able to enjoy an abundant harvest in the fall. The same is true of, of for our daily labor. Right? We, we work hard. We take pride in, in making all the right decisions with regard to our work, maybe with regard to our financial situation. But beloved, the reality is this, that none of that guarantees the results that you may be hoping for. Why not? Because the psalmist shows us that there is only one, one true farmer over the whole earth. God himself is the farmer par excellence. Israel had to learn this lesson over and over again when they were living there in the promised land of God. Right? The Lord God gave to them a glorious land. The spies said, this is a land that is overflown with milk and honey. But it was also a land that depended on the yearly rain. 
And if the rain did not come, the seed would not grow. And we know that there are a number of times in Israel's history when God withheld the rain from the land and he allowed the drought to come over the earth. And why did he do that? Well, he did that because the people had forgotten about him. The people had become disobedient to the Lord their God. And so the psalmist now praises the Lord God. Indeed, the, God, the Lord God is the great farmer in Israel. There in the verses 9 through 13 of this psalm. He says, God, you care for the land and you water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water. What was the picture? The picture here is of water falling from the heavens onto the land as if it is a, a gentle stream that comes from God above. God, you drench the furrows in the land. You level its ridges. You soften it with showers. And you bless its crops. God is the farmer who carefully watches over the land. He sends the showers to water the seed. Causes the soil to soften. The seed to poke up through the soil and to grow. He makes the crops to stand tall in the field. You know, because of our technology, we easily forget about how much we still depend on the Lord God Almighty as the great farmer, that He might bless our, the, the growth in our fields. He might bless also the work of our hands. And when the farmer goes on the field, the farmer must do so with a sense of humility. Humility in which he understands that his work depends on God's blessing. And when we are busy with our daily work, beloved, we also need to do that work with a spirit of humility, understanding that if the Lord does not bless what we're doing, then our work and our labor may be in vain. But beloved, it also gives to us a certain comfort. Comfort to know that everything in, in our life is, is not dependent upon our strength and our wisdom, but is dependent upon the, the faithfulness of the Lord our God who watches over us. That means that the farmer does not need to be anxious when he sows his seed. And it means, beloved, that you, don't know, that you do not need to go to work being anxious each day, wondering if something might happen to your job. In this time of COVID, many people's lives have been set upside down. And perhaps there are also those within the church who have been affected by many of the restrictions in our society and in our economy. Indeed, there is the reality there that in the danger of perhaps even losing our jobs, losing our livelihoods, losing our businesses, the danger of not having a job to go to tomorrow. And the psalmist reminds us that the great farmer is watching over our land. And we are reminded that our God is the God who will provide for us. It means, beloved, that your and my security does not depend ultimately on these earthly material things that we often set our hearts upon. But our security rests in the hands of Almighty God. He who hears prayers will also hear us in our time of need. 
So in the end, the psalmist can also say, God will crown the year with his bounty. Your carts, literally, your tracks overflow with abundance, he says. It's like, the picture is like God sends the wagons into the fields uh, and the wagons overflow with the crops that are being harvested and placed on the wagons. He paints this wonderful picture of the grasslands of the wilderness, the wilderness being that barren land, the desert land that suddenly becomes fertile and overflows with abundant grass and crops. The hills, he says, are clothed with gladness. And so we can already picture in our mind also the wheat or the grain waving back and forth in the breeze there under the sunshine. And the meadows, the meadows, he says, are covered with flocks. Remember in Israel, they would be, uh, the meadows would be covered with sheep and with goats. And today you may have the picture of the cattle in the fields. The valleys, he says, they are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. Yes, even the animals and the crops are singing with joy to the God of creation. And the picture that you have painted for us here, beloved, is a glorious picture of great abundance. It's almost as if it describes paradise, where everything is perfect. Remember, God promised the people of Israel, when they entered into the promised land, He said to Israel, He says, if you are faithful to me, then I will bless the land and I will provide you with great abundance. But beloved, this picture today is one that makes us think of Christ's promise to us. The promise that he will give to us the new heavens and the new earth. Because you know the reality is that today things are not always perfect. Today crops can fail in our fields. We know that our jobs can be lost. We know that economic hardships can strike us. This country might be, might be driven to poverty. Freedoms can be taken away, as they have in the past. But in Christ, in Christ we have the hope of all the ends of the earth. Christ came that he might restore to us the glorious hope of a greater and a better future. And so today, beloved, you may still struggle, but one day he will come and he will satisfy you with his bounty. The day is coming when the great spiritual harvest will be taken in, when Christ will gather all of his people. When that day comes, that will be a great, it will be a blessed day. In that day, the Lord will indeed, he will crown us with the bounty of his glorious kingdom. That means that we are ready today can rejoice. Why? Because we today already are satisfied, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter what our lot in life may be. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, we are able to look forward already to that great, into that glorious day of His coming. Indeed, praise awaits you, O Lord, in Zion. Amen. And Lord, we trust that you will do the same even today, no matter what the future may be. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow will hold. We don't know whether you will bring our society back from the brink. We don't know how the people will react. But we do pray, Lord, that you may cause openings and you may also work openings for your gospel message to enter into the hearts of those who live without hope so that they may come to understand the gospel message 
Because, Lord, while on the one hand we indeed we pray for a great material harvest, also in the fields, and we pray for the things we need in our daily lives, what we long for even more is a great spiritual harvest. That those who live in darkness without knowledge of you, that they may come to acknowledge you as God, that they may turn to you in faith, and they might also experience that satisfaction, being satisfied because they know that you will give to them something greater and better. For Lord, you have promised to us a glorious future. We look forward to that day of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you will establish your kingdom in all of its glory, and when the words of the psalmist will be also fulfilled, uh, when you will give to us also that wonderful bounty, when there will be no lack of anything that you will provide for us for eternity, and above all, that we'll be able to live in your holy presence, there to see you, there to speak to you, there to praise and to magnify your holy name, there to experience your care and your goodness over us forevermore. So Lord, grant us your blessing also this week. We pray that you will bless us in our daily activities, keep sin evil far from us, and also as your people, that we may be a people who then also look out for one another as we support one another, as we, as we remind one another, Lord, of what is most important. It's not the material things. It's not the earthly things. But it is the fact that we have received life and that you have given to us salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ. And with that, we will be satisfied. Amen.